The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It feels like fall is here, and when fall is here, hockey is not far away. Or at least the NHL season. Um, There is hockey going on. Um, The Women's World Tournament, which we're going to talk about in a couple of minutes, uh, is happening right, right now. Uh, And there's a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes stuff that makes seasons different. You know, the changes that go on in rosters, uh, in some cases programs fighting for their life, uh, proof that certain people are delusional. Um, and then uh, the unfortunate tragedies and desired rule changes and things like that mm-hmm. uh, that make the whole the whole year relevant to the hockey season. Yeah, I, it, it's I get excited when we start hitting September. We know training camp is right around the corner, and then of course the season itself. So yeah, we're starting to get a lot of. A lot of dreamy time things, a lot of, you know, we should do this, we should change that, or this is what the NHL should do. But actual hockey that's going on is what we should talk about. I mean, we got the we got the, the, the world tournament going on. We got some records being broken. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, I think we've got the beginning of a powerhouse uh or at least the uh, the very early stages of a powerhouse and world power uh, in women's hockey. United States? Well, U.S., Canada, they're already there. They're the acknowledged number one and number two in the world in hockey, in women's hockey. It's You can argue that there are teams better, but no one's going to believe you. Uh, not at the adult level. Um, but Japan, Japan seems to own Germany um, and their wins have come more and more frequently and just just last year uh, the Junior Olympics uh, their women's team won gold I was going to say because they didn't play last year and, and due to the pause uh, but, junior Olympics, not full Olympics. They were very early in the year, I think, before oh, okay. everything became to a grinding halt. I mean, uh, it, so early 2020. I mean, I've read this before where, I mean, Japan is actually becoming sort of a hotbed of hockey for at least the women, if not uh, in general. And I didn't want to believe it at first just because, I mean, I don't hear much about it, but. The more I read, the more it's it's starting to come to fruition. I mean, it's yes, it's the other side of the world. Yes, it's a very different language than what we speak, um, and both the time zone and the uh, and the language barriers are going to pay uh, make a difference. But just looking at some of the highlights of the program in the last few years. Uh, they uh, the Asian Games they finished no worse than second place every event since two, since 1996 
2017, they finished in first place. Um, IIHF uh, Cup Challenge of Asia, um, which doesn't appear to still be going on, but even going back to 2010, they were second place that year, and then in 11 and 12, first place. Um, you look at the... You look at the current IIHF ranking, they're at their highest ever. Um, they're sixth in the world, sixth in the world for every women's team. Um, and they absolutely, positively brutalized Hong Kong uh, <laughs> in February of 17 in one of the most lopsided victories in I've ever heard of in hockey, 46 to nothing. Okay, that's... 46 to nothing. That's a, that's not, that's a football score. Uh, American football score. Uh, I mean, that's just... Wow. Um, Asian Winter Games, they won gold, as I said, in 17. Um they're one or two more seasons away from finally having a winning record in uh, in total international play at 88, 92, and eight. Um, and remember, they have they end up playing both the U.S. and Canada every year. Those are for almost anyone. Those are two scheduled losses. Now, I'm, I I mean I. I looked. I, I looked it up when we were doing this out of curiosity because we have the national women. We have the the NWHL National Women's Hockey League, and they currently have, I believe, six teams. They haven't expanded beyond that yet, or they have it in the works. Yep. There is a women's Japan women's Japan Ice Hockey League. They have nine teams. Yes. Of course, the Celebu Princess Rabbits apparently are the dominant franchise, uh, having won it for eight straight years before losing in the final game to DK Peregrine. And the Princess Rabbits, unfortunately, had to finish second. Can't win it every year, I guess, although eight in a row is pretty good. Uh, they do theirs a little differently. It's not it's not a regular season like we would play. It's more of a tournament style, uh, and they award medals as opposed to a championship. So the Princess Rabbits have won the gold eight times, and they won a silver once. And uh, must Peregrine, have been very shameful for their families to see them win a silver. <laughs> Peregrine won their first gold when they beat the Princess Rabbits, but they've won silver seven times, so... Always a bridesmaid, never a bride until this season. <laughs> it's just, it's impressive that they actually have a 19 league. They have, I mean, it's not something you hear about. When you talk women's hockey, it's always America, Canada, and then kind of everybody else. And when you look at the international rankings, you gave the correct order of the first two, um, and they're close. Can you guess who number, I mean, you can probably guess without too many tries who three and four are but can you guess who number five is three four and five are probably not too hard to guess but i'm kind of surprised by the differences between the men's and the women's like i don't know finland 
Island um, is number three. Uh, number four would be, I don't know. See, again, I'm thinking typical teams in men's hockey. I'm going to go, you know, you got to go with like Russia. Or, that would be four. And number five, can we say it's Japan? Japan is number six. Okay. Um, so number five is what another European team, say Sweden. Uh, Sweden is actually below Germany, uh, which is somewhat surprising um, on the women's side. Uh, Switzerland is number five. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I mean, because you consider how many men actually get drafted that are Swiss. Not many. Not many. I mean, Finland is population-wise possibly the best hockey nation in the world for men, and it it's closing in. Uh, it's closing in that way for women because I mean, Finland is a tiny, tiny population. They're number three in the world for women uh, for women's rank, and they're number two in the world for the u.s as of june of this year uh, to, uh, for the for the men's side as as of this year that's ridiculous for a country that's i don't know i think it's a third the size of canada uh, population wise much less i mean how many fins were dra- you just stop and think about how many fins were drafted in the first round of this year's nhl draft uh, 5.53 million people um, in in Finland. To put that into perspective, um, the that's probably about the same size as the greater Dallas area, like the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. Yeah. Um, and smaller than the greater Toronto area. Greater Toronto uh, area is 6.4 million in change as of uh, as of um, 2016, and it's probably a little it's a little bit higher now. So to be for Finland to be number two in the world for men's rank and number three in the world for women's rank, that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of the hockey world, anyway. <laughs> I mean, for the rest of the hockey world, that's literally terrifying. Um, I'd ha- I'm curious as to what the rest of their sports rankings look like, but we're not going to get into that on our show. Uh, but you're literally talking about something that's a country that's yeah. One fifth, the size of Canada producing at very nearly the same level in both sports, because it's just behind Canada in women's rank in the women's rank and just behind Canada in, in the men's rank. <laughs> okay. Then I mean that, and you think that, it's not like the Japanese women to go back to them. It's not like they're breaking into the women's national hockey league. I don't know if it's because scouts don't get out that far or, you know, is they it a financial thing? <laughs> oh, maybe. I mean, they're, they, they, they technically got a bigger league. They've got three more teams than, than the national women's hockey league does. I mean, you might, I mean, it's not just that, but there's the whole cultural ch- culture change. Um, 
I looked at the current roster for the women's team for the Japanese women's team. Uh, they're not necessarily all tiny, uh, as as has been the case uh, some uh, some years in the past. But uh, they're not they're not as big as the uh, Canadian and uh, U.S. women's teams. They're just not physically there. Um, I was wondering two things mm-hmm. um, when I started looking at how well Japan is doing uh, internationally. One, obviously, how how long before we start seeing um, players drafted out of Japan or free agents coming over out of Japan to play in North America? Um, I don't think I have an answer for that. I don't know. I don't, I'm not even sure if the, uh, the women's league has a, has a mechanism for that at this point. Right. I don't know about that either. It, I, I don't know how it works. I mean, they've only got the six teams. They do it. They do have a draft. Oh, they have a draft. Yes. Uh, but their draft is, their draft is different than the NHL's draft. And I, I honestly would have to sit down and read through it. But, and the other thing is, for women's hockey, is there a chance, or what do you think of the possibility that the NWHL beats the NHL to Asia-Pacific expansion? What are the chances? Uh... Because, yes, hockey has this fixation or most North Americans have this fixation with expanding to Europe. Um, before uh, the pandemic, uh, everyone was thinking, Oh yeah. Uh, the NHL can get into London and, you know, maybe get into, get into Switzerland and Sweden and, uh, some of the, but have they actually, Eastern. have they actually tried? I mean, it, it, there's talk of it that try. brings it up. I don't think that they've actually, tried i think they looked into it you know they, you know the problem is you would have to do a division you would really have to do a division yes and that division it would have to almost if you're going to send american you know north american teams over to play the european teams it's going to have to be all in one fell swoop you can't have them crisscrossing like they do in america you'd have to say have this "Quote unquote West Coast swing, except it would be like an East Coast swing, yeah, and you would have to play. <laughs> you would have to play all of them in one fell swoop. You couldn't. It wouldn't make viable sense. It would make fiscal sense to send them over there to play one game at a time. Oh yeah, one game at a time doesn't make sense. But you know, going going to play five games or seven games in Europe, uh, you know, the second the second month of your season, and then maybe. Uh, for at least on the NHL side, going back at the end of the year, but let's let's just for the uh, just for the sake of imagination say uh, say that you know the Japan Japanese ho- women's hockey league decides that they want to they want to play uh, they want to play the winner of the uh, of the Isabel Cup. In a champions versus champions uh, match, I could see that. 
I think it would be great for the sport. Well, like, yeah, you, you, I mean, talk about bridging international uh, barriers. I mean, okay, the best in the N- the best in the women's NHL, whether it's the Boston Pride like this year, or whether it's the Minnesota, what do they call themselves? White, not White Caps. Minnesota White something. White, I don't know. I have to look up the team names. I don't have them all memorized. Uh, no, you had you were right. It is the Minnesota Whitecaps. Oh, okay. Um, but having having that happen, or even just having like a the best four teams from each of the two leagues, uh, play. You know, two of their teams come over here. Two of the uh, two of the uh, North American teams head to Japan. Um, and then the winners meet wherever in one of the cities or even a neutral site city for, uh, for the, for a champ or for a championship game for, for a tournament. That's the type of thing that will grow the game way faster than nearly anything else. Agreed. Um, and I think that just bringing the international aspect into it, I think that even though, the the NWHL is made up of American and Canadian women for the vast majority. Mm-hmm. I would have to look at some of the rosters to uh, to see where anyone else is, but where anyone else is from. I think that when you break when you break the two countries' rosters down and their teams down and players down into a bunch of professional teams. I think the gap in quality between the U S and Canada and everyone else thins out enough that you can have more competitive games than what you've seen when the U S has gone and, uh, or when the NHL has gone and attempted to play competitive games against Belfast and wherever. Well, the only other sport that the only other sport that's really cracked any kind of international play was the was the NFL and and they had the World League they they bought the World that League but terrible. they couldn't they couldn't keep it floating but they still go overseas and play NFL matches because they want to expand into Europe as well again they're talking they've been talking about for the last few years oh, so that's- they they want to do it as well but they're actually playing. Uh, games that count regular season games in London, regular season games in Mexico. Okay, yes, it's North American continent. I get it, but it's still international. Whereas the NHL is still playing all their games on the North American continent. NBA, same deal. Yeah, they they they're not they they, they all talk about expanding. The only way to grow the game is to go international. The only but the only ones that have done it so far is the NFL. If the NHL can take that step or the women's national hockey league, take that step and actually grow and have international games. And for lack of a better way of saying it, beat the other leagues to the international arena. You get the focus on you. Oh, absolutely. And you'll create like just the fact that, Let's be honest, at this point, uh, the NWHL games are going to be less expensive to attend 
than an NHL game or an NBA game or whatever. Getting a good partnership with some of the touring companies who can put together other stuff for people to do on like a five or a six day trip to Japan. You know, you have two or three, uh, two or three women's games that you go to, you go see, you know, you go see something in Tokyo, Tokyo and Kyoto or a trip out up Mount Fuji, whatever other sightseeing there is in Japan or Sweden or wherever else you want to take the game. Um, I think that as important as it is to grow the women's game in North America still, because it is, it, it, it still needs, it still needs that nurturing. I don't think long term you have the viability uh, without getting the infusion of international players. Um, and at this point, it, Asia seems to be ahead of the rest of the world in women's hockey. That's where you're going to find the best talent. That's where you're going to find the best competition. It might be the best place to go. Mm-hmm. Um, hack even doing a tour even doing tours of like um australia hit all of the big port cities that you know have a good size hockey arena um you know perth sydney um wherever else you need to go uh canberra and you know three four cities and do a couple of games that's that's where you're going to go and at this point in history you have two really, really impressive, well-known players uh, in Hillary Knight and um, Natalie Spooner, who can can wave the flag for the two countries who are at the top uh, of the women's world hockey scene. Um, you've got Natalie Spooner, who just crossed 100 points in international play uh, for Canada, Another hundred pointer. Uh, I mean, just as just the durability that implies, because that's a lot of games over a lot of years, and without the length of the regular season, uh, the same length of regular season that the men's team does, the uh, men's hockey has, she has to keep in shape, and Hillary has to keep in shape effectively by herself. Um, throughout a much longer down t- uh, period of downtime, sure it's great that there's less wear and tear uh, as far as you know contact in game and attempting to work at game speed, but you still have to put in the work. And I By don't the know. Way, don't they carry other jobs during the off season because many of them they, do. Then, yes. They're not signing contracts like the regular NHL players are. Their contracts they're, are not six and seven figures, no. No, their 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 season itself is not even ha- is it, I don't even think it's no. half as long as. I want to say it was in the twenty game range the last time I looked. Uh, so, but. so you can't turn around and say, well, you know, she got to a hundred points. You know, this guy did a hundred points in this long. It, it, no, well, he plays an eighty-two game season. <laughs> He's got four times the opportunity in one year, uh, or almost four times the opportunity. Well, no, as, well, this is international play still, but um, 
Okay. Still, if it's 100 points in international play, how many men have reached 100 points in international play? And let's not many. Right. So she's <laughs> still in elite cat. She's still in elite category, hitting 100 points in international play. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, like I will never take anything away from what these women do. Um, they're. I think it's probably harder to go from that off-season job to uh, to the on ice and pre and the stuff that you do to get ready to be on ice than it is to grind out the season, have that short downtime, and then jump back into it. I'm I mean I'm impressed every time and when somebody hits 100 points I'm impressed so that's. In international play, there's there's a couple of international tournaments a year. So how many opportunities do you have to amass that kind of, those kind of points? And to me, it's it's one of those numbers. It's like hitting a hundred points in a season for for a regular NHL player. Hitting, you know. I don't even know what to compare it to because it's it 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 is uh or 40 homer season in baseball. It's that something like yeah, it's one of those it's one of those goals that's very difficult to attain and it puts you in this uh, upper echelon of of players in your sport. And to do it internationally is just that much brighter. I mean, this is the type of this is this is the type of player that yes, the international game should be focusing on. And again, Hillary Knight for the Americans, as you were saying, she's another one. And and she, she is, I mean, if you talk women's hockey, people know the name Hillary Knight. Absolutely. I mean, she just passed Cammy Granado uh, for uh, the women's uh, set for the uh, women's world scoring women's world scoring lead uh, with her uh, points against Russia. And by the way, Cami Granado, head of scouting for the um, Seattle Kraken. Yes. I mean, okay, so you just passed. You just passed not only a Hall of Famer, somebody who's hit that, hit that 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 magic line, so to speak, of, of you know holding a record in international hockey. You just surpassed her, and she works for an NHL franchise. I mean. It, Okay, let's let's celebrate that. And the other part of this is Hillary Knight was born in a non-traditional hockey market. She was a she's a she's a California girl. She wasn't she didn't grow up in Massachusetts or Minnesota uh or you know, she didn't grow up just outside Montreal or Toronto. She grew up in California. She grew up in a place where her grandparents uh, or people her grandparents' age who lived in the area didn't know what hockey was growing up. Most likely. Yeah, I mean, there are players coming out of California now. I mean, since they've expanded into with the three franchises, it's – Growing, I guess, would be the best way to say it. But yeah, California is not a typical hockey players come out of there. Same thing as Dallas. Same thing as Texas. You know, southern states. You know, 
and we're going to get into another southern state in a moment, but southern states and, and, and hockey don't usually mesh, although now we've got franchises in Dallas, we've got franchises in Arizona, down in Florida. That's Palo what Alto, has, California. Palo Alto, yeah. That's not, not the first place I think of when I think of hockey superstars. Perhaps it should be if Hillary Knight's from there, though. I mean, it's just impressive what these women have been able to do and and to grow their and hockey in general, international hockey, hockey in general, North American hockey, U.S. hockey, Canadian hockey. They need to take advantage of these celebratory goals and and grow the sport within and without expand celebrate them this is you, you know his band without acknowledging <laughs> what's great right now i don't as people people take it the wrong way i've already heard of bobby orr i've already heard of cammy granado i've already heard of uh, jack plant and denny savard and countless literally countless other guys and gals who have played 25 years ago or more. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about more than three players playing right now who are great, who make people feel the game. Hillary Knight, um, Natalie Spooner. Those are two people who, those are two players who make hockey fans feel the game. We did a show not too long ago about the greatest, about the, the number one international player, and I don't remember exactly which episode it was. Oh, wow. That was about two, three months ago. And she was from, was it Germany? I don't even remember her name. Off the top of my head, I don't know, but. It's just, I mean, there there are international women that we can celebrate. It doesn't have to be just North American hockey. No, it doesn't. Um, And, you know, we talked about playing, we talked about women's league playing internationally, whether it's in Japan or a neutral site, uh, Australia tours, things like that. Um, the NHL is slowly returning to normal. I think it's going to be a couple of years before we see them back in Europe. Um, but there, it, it appears there's going to be some neutral site games this year. Um, for the t- for uh, the preseason, which is pretty no- pretty typical for the uh, pretty typical for the NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be there's going to be games in Spokane, Washington, Kent, and Everett. You know, all of those are WHL cities. Uh, up in uh, uh, up in Washington State, uh, we get the new arena for the New York Islanders, the UBS Arena. Uh, the Islanders are going to have three uh, three home contests in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, neutral site neutral site preseason games in end of, uh, Abbotsford. Uh, British Columbia, Independence, Missouri, Orlando, Florida, Salt Lake City, Utah, 
Um, for those not in the loop, or, uh, Orlando is one of those cities that's got a lot of money and a lot of casual tourism. Salt Lake City, over the past decade, decade or so, uh-huh. has been gro- a growing tech mecca. There's been a lot of people from all over the world, including the Bay Area, um, moving there to start or work at high-end tech companies that have literally multiple billions of dollars of venture capital flowing into them. And all of those companies need to advertise. They need to put, they need something for their for their employees to do. Um, so Salt Lake City is far, far less homogenized than it was 15, 20, certainly 30 or 40 years ago. Um, I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see a third Florida team any time in the next decade. I but, don't know that Florida could support another franchise. I mean, it they've got two in that state to begin. I don't know that they could support a third one. I mean, yes and no. It, hockey is not America's national sport. It's just not. Um, but the population of Florida is very nearly that of Canada. Okay. And it's more spread out. Well, it's more concentrated. But it's also and and I'm not saying this to be mean to anyone, but it's also an older generation population. In, in yes a, and no. Orlando is a little bit younger than uh, than some of the other cities. I honestly think that Jacksonville probably makes a better a better prospect for becoming mainstream in the area. But that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because I think you're a little bit well, you're definitely a little bit closer to 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 southern Georgia, um, and you're further away from Tampa Bay, which right now, because of two back-to-back uh, championships, is going to own their portion of the of Florida. Um, but these preseason games, I think, are absolutely a mark of where the NHL and Gary Bettman in specific are looking to either expand or possibly at relocation uh if if the coyotes cannot find a place in arizona to stay salt lake city same time zone uh if my brain is working properly today they could stay in the same division uh it's really not going to make all that much of a flight difference uh for te- for nhl teams heading in and out of there and it's an untapped market, really. Uh, you don't have football there. You do have uh, in Utah. You don't have an NHL team, an NFL team. Oh. Or am I okay. missing something? Nope, you're right. No, no football teams in Utah. And I don't think they have a. I don't pay enough attention to baseball. I they probably there's there's actually there's. There's like no franchise basketball. Utah. Yeah. The Utah jazz, they have a basketball team. You're right. Um, But no football, no hockey. Although didn't we just have an outdoor tournament in you in, in Utah? There there's actually a couple of junior leagues. They're like junior B uh, teams. And I believe the NAHL 
uh, actually has a, a couple of franchises in Utah. That was Lake Tahoe that they played. Not, not, not quite salt. the same thing, but yes. Uh, well, that's where the golf, they had it on the golf course. But, I mean, you think about it, there for the NHL to go somewhere that is non-traditional, and granted it was a non-traditional reason for doing it, but those are the type of things they need. You want to get a franchise into Utah. Okay, let's go show the sport in Utah, whether it's Lake Tahoe. Yeah, get into Salt Lake City. Get somewhere in where the, the population is concentrated and show them what what they're missing. Absolutely. And without – Without the NFL there, without the without Major League Baseball, without uh, some of the other distractions, you have a chance to be a big part of the market really quickly. Just like in Vegas, if you have a if you have good ownership and a good arena, you have a really good chance of building that team into a viable, profitable, competitive team in a very short period of time. Okay. So to to bring this back around to the neutral sites thing, are you trying to tell me that neutral sites are a great idea, that they should do this more frequently? I I want to say it was back in the 80s or 90s before the 2005 full-loss season when they were still doing 84-game seasons – Every team used to have two neutral site games. And I think it would be a great idea to bring it back. Um, whether you go, whether you actually make the jump to 80 back to 84 games. Or you simply take 80 games, you know, 40 in your home arena, 40 on the ro- uh, uh, traditional road cities. And then two, two games that are somewhere in a neutral site, you know, Maybe so you put throw in throw in Salt Lake City, throw in um, Atlanta, throw in throw in Mexico City. Maybe you throw in London or uh, or Paris or Dusseldorf or wherever Mm -hmm. uh, for those neutral sites. If the game of the if the if the goal of the league is to grow. You have to show the flag in new places. You have to let people see the live product because even with great broadcasters and there aren't that many of them, a live game is still a whole lot better than <laughs> a TV game. Yeah, I would have to say the the just the atmosphere when you go to a, a live hockey game and you get the fans going around you and I mean, whether it's whether it's ECHL, NHL, NWHL, the 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 feeling that you get swept up in when the crowd gets excited for a goal scored or for a a high intensity, you know, a penalty called in one of those intense moments of the game, or, or it just just being there. Well, absolutely, I, and you know, there's there's cities like Indianapolis that probably should be looked at at some point for an NHL team. Um, there's, there's cities on both the East and West coast, uh, throughout the flyover country. And, you know, Saskatchewan, Canada was making a case for a team a couple of years back. Quebec city would 
probably be a, per- a perennial stop. Um, in fact, they could probably get a half dozen neutral site games every year without trying. Uh, you know, Boston, Montreal playing in Quebec City, uh, Vegas and uh, Vegas and L.A. or San Jose and uh, Arizona playing there. Um, get them some of the teams they're not going to see on TV quite as often. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot that can be done with this concept, and it's not purely for the exploration of expansion, because I don't see the league adding any additional teams in the next five years. Uh, I no, just, I think they're going to be set at 32 for a bit. Um, I have to agree. I think if there's going to be expansion, it's going to be NWHL. It's going to be uh, and more on the international. It's going to have to be more on the international. Front. I think 32 franchises right now in 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 North America. I mean, if there's going to be a 33rd, it's going to be in Canada. Oh, it's almost a given that if they add another team to Canada, it's going to be Quebec City. It's very nearly the only other place that I can see it happening is a second greater Toronto team. And that would make half of the owners in the league, uh, half of the owners in Canada, half of the teams in Canada or half of the fan base in Canada go absolutely mad because most of non Toronto, non Ontario considers Ontario way too important and way too focused on in hockey. Uh, and in the country in general. I'm just, I'm surprised that they don't actually have a franchise in, in that uh, French speaking part of the country there, the, you know, that Quebec area, you know, like actual, like they used to have the Quebec Nordiques. I mean, it's funny when they talked about Ottawa not having a team and they wanted a team and, but when they had the team, they didn't support it. But they finally brought a team back to Ottawa, and now they're supporting it. So it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> the same thing in Quebec. They, you know, they didn't support the team, but now they want the team. But they, uh, it's all very confusing to me. You do or you don't. If you want it, support it. Further stirring the confusion pot is. <laughs> um. Jack Eichel has gone and traded, uh, gone and uh, made a change to his uh, representation. Yeah, apparently uh, Fish and Donatelli are out, and Brisson is in. Brisson also happens to control the or, or have influence on the careers of players such as Cindy Crosby, Jonathan Taze. Uh, I believe Patrick Kane is in there. And yes, he is. He, I guess the hope for Eichel is that it's going to help facilitate the trade that he's so desperately seeking. Uh, it's also He's also hoping, from what I'm reading, that it's going to help him get the surgery taken care of that he so desperately wants. Uh, the I still can't believe that the that the team is <clears throat> not just gone ahead and let him have the surgery. He's apparently not really recovering at this point, 
And how do you, how do you do that if you're trying to get the most out of out of a ta- a talented young player? Whether you believe that you're still going to be able to trade him and recoup and get back a good trade a good amount uh, in trade without the surgery and then he's whoever else's problem. You know, uh, I, the, the league does have some, if not lemon law clause, you know, most general managers do build in a couple of fail safes to major trades, um, clauses on some of the, on some of the draft picks. But okay. even if you only want to put him on the ice as much as possible, I I, I am baffled by the Adams Pagula <laughs> position on this. Literally baffled. I don't understand it. I don't know why it's happening, and I would love for someone to explain it to me in really small words so they don't confuse themselves. Really small words. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can do it in really small words, but Iko wants to leave. (laughs) Pagula and Adams don't know how to make it happen because they want what they want. And, And from what I'm reading, there are six things that they wanted. And apparently other GMs went ballistic. Apparently they want a center, a top line center under 25. Uh huh. (laughs) <laughs> hold on i want to make sure i get this right so they want a top line center under 25 they want a what was the other one it was also an under 25 or though top line probably center. a top defenseman a top pairing defenseman yes uh, okay so here it is we're talking top six center 25 years or under top four defenseman 25 or under a first round pick and an assortment of three prospects. Oh, good. For Eichel. I can can see (laughs) a top center, a first-round pick, and three, like, prospects. I could make that trade. Like, if you you can find me a top six center, might not be a top 20, a top 15 number two center, but I'm sure I could find that somewhere. Um, and then a first round pick. Okay. Almost everyone has at least two B prospects in their, in their, uh, somewhere in their system. Apparently the idea is to get that down to a, a wish list of four items, but it doesn't specify which four. Okay, four items is acceptable, but if they're actually holding out for five or six of six, better drugs. <laughs> Literally, go find better drugs. There they go. Drive yourself to a therapist. <laughs> Just speak your mind for 45 minutes. Speak your mind on this topic. It, it won't even take 45 minutes if they understand hockey. Um and take the medication that they will inevitably prescribe you. So back in June, and so yeah, Boston hockey now is where I'm reading this from just because it was 
one of the things, one of the places that actually explained a little bit, but says, as first reported in our weekly off the record column, Sabres GM Kevin Adams was and apparently still is looking for at least four components. So, but at one time in June, it was six. And and then one NA, unnamed NHL executive apparently told them that they're crazy. Um, I should hope so. <laughs> I get that Kevin is in a really tough spot and needs to make sure he can get as close to Jack's worth as possible, but this is just crazy. <laughs> uh, in this market with so many teams trying to build from within because of the cap, how is he going to get that? And then you don't even know how Jack's back will hold up. So, yeah, the whole Eichel thing continues. And Kevin Adams has clearly either stopped the medication or has taken the wrong medication. And the Pagulas are sitting right there on the couch with him. At least I would assume that because I can't imagine that the Pagulas are hands off. They they not they the, fire not too the many changes we've seen. No, they fire too many executives and coaches for them to not be hands off. Okay, <sighs> just for the giggles. Okay, assuming the Coyotes weren't desperately trying to be number thirty-two this year, and in certain possibilities, even if they are. Mm-hmm. You're Bill Armstrong. Assuming you're allowed to even do this, but you're Bill Armstrong (laughs) and you call up Kevin Adams. I'm not trading you a single player. I mean, if you want Louis Erickson, I'll send him to you. But here's what I want. I will trade you. All five of my second round picks this year. And my first and my two first round picks for Jack Eichel. <laughs> okay. Just, just for the giggles. Assume this is the trade. I'm trying to decide whether Bill Armstrong is saying this without managing to just completely laugh out loud in Kevin Adams' face, or if Kevin Adams is actually still on the phone at this point, or both. Now, assume that you're Kevin Adams. Yeah. And you have a lively faith in your scouting staff. <clears throat> okay. What what reason you'd have for that I don't know, but assume <laughs> assume you hence do. the hence the chuckle, okay. <laughs> um and your yeah. goal <laughs> is, is to, to just, blow up your roster anyways. Is to acquire draft picks. <laughs> Would you actually take that deal? Not get a single <laughs> roster player back for Jack Eichel. Um, uh, I'm trying to imagine it in in like real world conditions because it just seems too uh, hilarious at the moment to to actually. I don't see it happening. I don't know that Kevin Adams does it. I think that I don't know that Fagulas allow him to do it. I mean, whether you want to blow up the team or not. I mean, you're going to be putting out, you're basically grabbing seven picks or, or however many they have in the first two rounds. Seven picks in the first two rounds. You've yes. already got, you've already got, you got Owen Power, who's not coming in for another year. Um, 
because he's going to go back and finish at school. No. You need I, they need some sort of, dare I say, veteran leadership, even if it's only a couple of years older than the kids they're drafting. You need some sort of veteran leadership in the locker room. Who's the voice? You're going to have 23, 22 kids in the locker room, all roughly the same age. None of them with any clue as to or I would I shouldn't say that because that's demeaning. But with without knowing what goes on in an NHL locker room, I mean, yeah, they've been in locker rooms in college. And, you know, how many of them were captains or, or leaders of their team or who takes charge? I, there's no veteran voice to kind of pull everybody together. So I don't see him completely blowing it up to where you've only got youth and 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 prospects in the locker room. I don't see it happening. I mean, it'd be nice to acquire all those picks, but you're going to end up turning around and using them to acquire actual NHL players who have been around for a year or two. So I don't think it's feasible. Oh, sure. Go throw that reason into the, into the discussion. Oh, my goodness. I did it again. Why would I got, you do a thing like that? I don't know. I keep doing it, though. I, I thought I learned my lesson at our, at our prior employment when we were taught not to use those things. But honestly, some people just don't get it. Logic and reason are not for this show. Absolutely not. I have to write myself a note somewhere, <laughs> stick it on a, and put it on a big post-it note on my screen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see it happening. I, there's got to be players involved, at least one. And there, I don't know I'll, whether there have to be players involved if for no other reason than at present uh, Buffalo is seven million dollars and change under the floor. Oh, they hey, we spend- got Yes, they need to spend $7 million more to get to the floor. Yes, if Eichel comes off of injured reserve and stays with the team, they're covered. But if they actually trade him for a fistful of, and quite frankly, seven picks is a double handful of picks. Well, yes. uh, You're, I could see, I don't think it's necessarily a bright idea because there's, a lot of potential for going Boston 2015 with those picks. But with two first round picks out of the bag, your own and whatever, and that pick is going to be awful. And then Arizona's again, they're going to be top five picks almost guaranteed. You might be able to use some of those second round picks to trade up and leave the draft with three of the top five picks, maybe as many as four of the top 10. And have a situation two or three years down the line where, yeah, you got Owen power and a couple of other kids coming in and you're starting to look more like the Toronto Maple Leafs, hopefully with actual defense on the ice when they had a roster with seven rookies on it. 
seven. Yeah, when uh, when Marner and um, Matthews and broke in, they were seven rookies on that roster, which was ridiculous. Okay, but it's gotten them into the playoffs a couple of times, which is something Buffalo hasn't seen in a half decade or more. Yeah. I just, uh, NHL is not going to, it's just not going to, I'm not sure that the NHL would like that trade, like the front office. I don't know that they'd necessarily block it. They'd probably just at just probably just tell the general managers on both sides. Uh, did did you check with your boss on this one? <laughs> did you did you check with your boss? Because like when when we send the receipts back to this, we'd like to send it to the same person. <laughs> Yeah, we'd like to we'd like to make sure that there aren't people like I don't know laughing and giggling and and actually paying attention when they decide to reject this trade. Ten straight seasons without a playoff uh, appearance for the Buffalo Sabers, and the last time that they. They actually won around was the 2007 season, or was in 2007. I don't know. I, I, yeah, see, that's why I don't think that's another reason why I don't think this trade works. It's not getting them any closer to winning anything at this point in time. But they haven't been getting closer in years. I mean, True. the 2019 season they were 33, 39, and 10. The 2018 season, I mean, that is better than the 2018 season where there were 25, 45, and 12. But last season, in an admittedly shortened season, they were 15, 34, and 7. In regulation, or they lost more than twice as many games as they won. That's just gross. (laughs) Like, it's literally disgusting. And this is another team that's been around forever and still never won a Stanley Cup. 1971, when they came into the league, they still have not won a Stanley Cup. And yet they're still not, it's still not as long for them as it has been for their neighbors to the north. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, sigh. <laughs> because what else is there? I mean, <sighs> I joke to, about it, it uh, about some teams. But is it getting beyond a joke at this point with with Buffalo? No, I, mean, no, I joke about some teams wanting to take them over and be their general manager, and you know, even take a really s- small contract with. Absolutely five, six years guaranteed in office, can't be fired uh, for anything less than criminal activity, and and I will get you I will get you closer to the playoffs or get you a championship. I think I might actually be willing to take like two hundred thousand dollars a year plus revenue share. Um, plus revenue share. There you go. <laughs> Good call. 
um, I don't know that I can do to rebuild the Buffalo Sabres because this is bad. It's non-workable bad. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love. We've talked about it many times. Love to take over Ottawa. Ottawa is almost not a challenge because yeah. someone seems to have muzzled Eugene Melnick at this point. Haven't heard from him. Haven't heard of him saying anything ridiculous in like five years at this point. Has it been that long? It's been at least three. Okay, I'll take three. Five seems a bit long, but I'll take three. Um, and but like legitimately, if the Pagulas just. If they're if they're listening, call me. I will take over the team for a very friendly figure with a couple of clauses. It's, it's, it's team team friendly deal, huh? Team friendly deal with a couple of clauses based on success and success alone. I, I want in on this. Wait a minute. I want in on this. And I I can do better than this by accident. <laughs> I think we could trip over it and do better. I can literally give me the keys. <laughs> Go play with the go play with the Buffalo Bills. Make sure my bills are, make sure the bills are paid for the Sabers, and otherwise just show up at like the opening game. And when I get the team into the playoffs, and otherwise only say congratulations, congratulations, Mike. Because uh, as a hockey fan, whether I like Buffalo or not as a city, whether I like Buffalo hockey fans, and they're not nearly as bad as certain other New York teams. Um, okay. Um, I feel bad for the Buffalo Sabres hockey fans because you can't be this bad this long, this consistently without multiple bad owners. The Pagulas aren't the first bad owners in Buffalo. Really? They've only been there like 10 or 12 years. And yet somehow they and yet somehow vaulted themselves to the top. Okay, as far as hockey is concerned, they're actually turning around the other. Well, I don't know if they are, but the other franchise that they own in Buffalo is actually turning it around. So, is it because they're focused on one team and not the other? Is it because they've split their focus and they like football better? Maybe they just don't get hockey. (laughs) Is it that you know? Maybe they just don't get hockey. I, I think we're going to stick with that one. Yeah, maybe they just don't get hockey. I think we'll go with that one because something's wrong there. If the other team can turn it around, what's going on? You know? uh, they're going to have to find a way to pay back the Buffalo Sabres fans somehow, and that might be by leaving. Um And uh, with any luck for them, they aren't forced to deal with an example like Montreal is uh, being reminded of exists in the CBA at the moment. Uh, Just Barry Coat Kanemi has accepted a (laughs) $6.1 million offer from the Carolina Hurricanes. This is proof that this is proof that um, there's humor in the NHL. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, come on. This is this is too fun not to talk about. So Kakadiemi signs a one year six point one million dollar offer sheet with the Carolina Hurricanes. But here's the best part. He got a signing bonus, too. Yep. 
signing bonus of $20. And then the Carolina Hurricanes decide to announce it to the world on Twitter by using a very familiar quote. Mark Bergevin might recognize it. I don't know. (laughs) But when you come out and you say, oh, yeah, wait a minute. Um, We've just signed Jesperi Kotkaniemi. He wants to be with Carolina. He recognizes that he – wait a minute. I want to read the quote exactly. I I know that time-wise, but it's just hilarious that they pulled this – Jesper Kakanemi accepted our offer. He wants to come to Carolina. Her, he sees the core we built here, and he wants to be a part of that. We're proud, but there's still a waiting period. When you make an offer like that, we saw a vulnerable position, the offer with the compensation and the core we have. We realized that it was the best chance we had to get the player. And the first part of that is word for word, except for the Jesper Kakanemi part. The tweet that Mark Bergeron put out when he signed Aho to an offer sheet, forcing the Carolina Hurricanes to match. So what's the significance of the $20? Um, that that number 20 is the number that Sebastian Aho wears on his sweater. So I'm wondering and thinking maybe there's a little bit of jabbing going on here. The problem is, and and yes, it's hilarious because they clearly did. Th- there was clearly some sort of payback in mind, but there's a little bit of evilness here too because if Montreal matches that six point one million dollars, it puts them over the cap by like eight million. Oh yeah, they're hurting. Uh, like there's no way around this. They almost have to trade Gallagher or two to three other players off of their roster in order to in order to be cap compliant when the season opens. I mean it was it, yes, it was clearly uh, it was clearly a jab at at, at Bergevin and and the Canadians franchise. You know, and it's funny and you read it and you get a good chuckle out of it and your first thought is, yeah, of course they've got a match. But then you stop and think about it and they were they were playing for keep for real here. This wasn't just a, a uh, taking a jab. I mean, putting putting the Canadians over the cap and putting them over a barrel as to what they're going to do. Now, the I mean, the further considerations for this are whatever you think of Kotkaniemi's ceiling, he hasn't he probably hasn't hit it yet, and this is an overpayment for a guy who produced twenty points last year. Six point one million is at Big twenty number. points per game or twenty points a season. That's a little high. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't have given him that kind of money. Not uh, yet. Now, the other part is it's only a one-year contract. If Montreal does not match, Carolina not only pays. More than they need to for Kudkin, or more than I would be willing to pay for Kudkinyemi uh, at this point in his career. But they also give up a first and a third round pick. I was going to say, what's the compensation for signing him to a one year deal? First and a third. Okay. Uh, at 6.1, which isn't bad if you're getting a good deal. Uh, 
but I mean, they would actually be paying him more than Jordan Stahl, uh, who, quite frankly, is at this point still a better player. So the Canes tweeted out big letters, signing bonus, $20, and then quote, and then said, people don't forget. That's just. <laughs> and then added LOL. Pettiness. <laughs> it's. I don't know if Don Waddell thought this on his own. I really I don't know if he got somebody some help on this one. But regardless, Waddell and his front office team and brain trust, this is brilliant. You put a team in in a little bit of a a cap crunch situation by signing one of their young up and coming forwards. And Kotkaniemi's gotten better. I'm not saying that he's I'm not saying he's bad. He's not a $6.1 million player either, no. but that number does put them in a crunch. And then giving him the $20 signing bonus just to kind of turn the knife a little bit. <laughs> it, it, it's brilliant in its precision, focus, and in its results because it's forcing the Canadians into a difficult, difficult decision. I mean, the... The Canes still have to figure have to make their own cap situation work. Um, on paper, they're still 1.5 over the cap with Kotkinemi, uh theoretically signed. Okay, um, but 1.5 is a lot. I mean, that's easier to deal with. I mean, they officially have 13 forwards, um, or Cap Friendly has them with 13 forwards on their roster. If they manage to trade Jasper Fast, uh, Jasper Fast. Uh, who's at 2 million a year somewhere else. Uh, they're, they're in the clear. Uh, they trade Jordan Martinook who plays all three positions and is getting 1.8. They're in the clear. Um, and they, uh, they also are listed with eight defensemen uh, on the, on the NHL roster. If they send D'Angelo and Smith to uh, the AHL, and roll with six guys for, you know, a month or two until an actual injury happens and someone, someone expensive needs to be put on the, on long-term injured reserve. Uh, they're, they're good. Wow. And yet they actually just, what, three days ago signed another player. So this cock and yummy thing. Yeah, they did. They just gave Svechnikov an eight-year, sixty-two million dollar deal back on the twenty-sixth. Eight years, yep. sixty-two million for Andrei Svechnikov. Yes, yeah, I, I'm willing I'm to bet that his, there's a contract, a, a clause in his contract where he is not allowed to fight Alexander. Uh, and that's exactly against. where I was going. We are on the same wavelength, man. <laughs> that's exactly where I was going to go with that. There's a clause in the contract that says he cannot fight he cannot fight Ovechkin anymore because that's a lot of money. <laughs> Eight years, sixty-two million for Svech. Is he worth seven point seven five per? Probably. Really? If he's not, he's close to it. And if you're actually anticipating the cap going back up which I think everyone really should be given, you know, 32nd team in a big market fans uh, back in the seats. 
Yeah, Butts back in the seats. I mean, in the 1920 season, he had 61 points in 68 games. Ooh. In the 1920 postseason, he had seven points in set in six games. Ooh. And then in the 2021 postseason, eight points uh, in 11 games. Okay, Overall, so he's his, a, so he's a performer. Yeah, his I mean his playoff career, which I think is actually his playoff numbers are significantly better than his regular season numbers. Those are the uh, type of players I like. Yes, uh, 20 points in 26 NHL postseason games, uh, 140 points in 205 regular season uh, games. That's a big jump. And it's not like his numbers are terrible in the regular season. Uh, I mean, he had 20 goals in his and played all 82 games uh, in uh, in the 18-19 season. And not yet. many in the not not much in the way of assists, but you know it's a rookie season. That's not unexpected. Um, I'm I'm okay with the deal at least provisionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even even last year, 42 points in 55 games, given all of the craziness of the season, you really can't complain, <laughs> particularly not with those playoff numbers. I mean, he produced. No, I, I actually like Svechnikov, so I, I don't have a problem with it. It, it. At first, I thought the numbers were a little high, but the playoff numbers, I mean, I thought the math, I thought the, the pay was a little high, but the math works. Another eight years, $62 million. Uh, $62 million contract went to a guy named Sean Couturier. Not at all surprised that they are keeping him. $7.75 million, just like Svech. I it would not surprise me to find out that their deals were linked or at least they were cap comparables to each other. Well, they decided to give him a Selkie trophy in 2020 for one thing. And then the quote from the quote from Chuck Fletcher was, I'm going to read this with a straight face as one of the premier two way centers in the NHL. Sean has the rare talent to shut down opposing teams, top players, while also contributing at a high offensive level. He carries an enormous presence inside our dressing room due to his preparation, determination, and drive to win, end quote. Uh, and there's a reason he used to be a punchline when he was the GM in, in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I, will, I will accept the second half. The first part is a little... It's a little gooey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but eight years, 62 mil. I'm not surprised that they gave it to him. They do value him. He, I mean, he's a 28-year-old. He's only 28 years old. So locking him up for another eight years is not a bad deal for them. Is he worth 7.75? Winning a Selkie gets you a little bit of extra cash, yes. To them he is. To them, he is worth seven seven five. So, okay, congratulations to him. I, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anybody the money. I mean, you're in it. Yes, you're for competitive spirit, but you're also in it to get paid. Yeah. And uh, we have uh, we have a sighting of our most opt of the uh, GM who drafted the uh, who drafted for Boston in 2015 again. Um. No. We've 
heard all we've heard for the last two months about how <coughs> the Boston Bruins organization yes. is hopeful that David Krejci will return after the European season is over. <laughs> David Krejci basically uh, David Krejci in a press conference, as reported by Darren Hartwell, <laughs> uh, basically says, yeah, no, not going back. It's not going to happen. I will stay in Olamook all season. Uh, I signed a one-year contract. Uh, I'm not dealing with what's next at all at this moment, but returning to Boston in the spring is definitely not in the game. I've been saying this all That's long. not a soft statement. No, that's pretty definitive. Uh, um, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any, you know, any way, any ways to parse that statement except to say, he's not coming. <laughs> And, of course, Cassidy, he did not close the door on returning in an interview earlier this month. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sweeney earlier uh, wondering whether or not he might return at some point in time. Donnie is dreaming. Donnie, Donnie, wake up. Come on, uh, boy. <laughs> it's not happening. Here's an idea. If you're going to dream that big, go uh, go throw an offer sheet at Elias Patterson, who I believe is still somehow unsigned. How is he unsigned? I don't – how is how is Elias Patterson Eli, – Elias? Elias. Elias Patterson. Yes, how he's is, still unsigned. How is that even remotely possible? Um, Just out of sheer curiosity, I would love to ask Benning this question. Did he tick Benning off at some point? Because they currently have over $10 million in cap space. So they've got the money. They have one player who's currently listed as injured, and that's Michael Furland. Yes, at $3.5 million, that's going to impact things once he comes back off the cap. But they also list 14 forward. Uh, cap friendly also lists 14 forwards and eight defensemen uh, as being part of the active roster. Now, yeah, I'm pretty certain that OEL is going to be on the roster. And given what they decided to pay Tyler Myers, he's going to be on the roster. Um, Travis Amonic probably going to be on the roster. But the rest, aside from getting Quentin Hughes re-signed, just get it done, dude. There are some big names on this list. I mean, oh. Elias Patterson's not the only one. Beauvillier's on this list. Brady Kachuk's on this list. Quinn Hughes is on this list? Quinn Hughes is in a weird position because of the length of the last two seasons where he hasn't played enough games to qualify for... Uh, oh, he for arbitration? For arbitration, um... Or is it for getting No, it's for arbitration, okay. uh, which which would also be an offer sheet as well. Um, so they he's getting a bridge deal, whether he wants it or not. He's going to get like one and a half, two and a half million a year for the next two years or three years. Wow. I'm sorry. Can you say bargain? <laughs> it, it, oh, it's a great bargain. Uh, but uh, I think that... There's a fine line between doing what's best for the team now and doing yourself dirty in the future. Because let's face it, he came in as a rookie 
and put up 53 points in 68 games in the 1920 season, yeah. and then a mere 16 points in 17 playoff games. Oh, okay. That's not much. Uh, but he had a really disappointing second year with only 41 points in 56 games. That's terrible. Uh, I, I can't. I am. I am amazed they didn't just terminate his contract uh, unilaterally. And and oh, he only averages like 23 minutes a night. Why does he even bother showing up if he's? Going I don't to know. I, I don't. If, yeah, that, that's just terrible. Some guy named Dalene uh, is still on the list too. I mean, it, yeah. So, it, but Elias Patterson not being signed—that's a—that is a shock. Uh, Quinn Hughes, okay, you know, the sort of special circumstances. Brady, Brady Kachuk. Kachuk. I don't, I don't get either of those. But uh, <laughs> more stuff to get to. Um, Alabama hockey uh, club hockey is fighting for its uh, life at the moment. Um, this is an interesting situation. Now, this isn't their Division One team. It's a Division Three team attempting to get, um, attempting to get to eighteen thousand dollars to cover travel expenses, dues, locker room space, yada 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 for the season. Um, they do have, um, they, uh, they were do promoted have about nine thousand raised which is good, but they still need almost 9,000 before September 1st in order for this to work. Um, They're at $9,022 as of the time of recording. Um, The last donation was a $250 generous donation by Diana and Michael Perry. Um, I will, when I tweet out the show today, I will tweet the link to this uh, in the response to mine and then in response to Chris's tweet. Uh, so you should be able to find it on either of our Twitters or you can just go to GoFundMe um, and University of Alabama Club Hockey. Um, well, here's the here's the interesting situation behind it is that because it, first of all, they were promoted to Division One in 2015. Yep. They started out as an ACHA Division Three team. They are now Division One. But the interesting situation is that because it is a club team, it's a club sport in Al- at, at the University of Alabama, it's not associated with, nor does it receive funding from the university. They have to pay to play, yeah. literally. That's why they're trying to raise this money to travel. They have to raise money for, for equipment and everything else. Because they have to pay for it. it. It's not like University of Alabama. It's not like the Crimson Tide football team that you know, gets millions and, and Nick Saban gets, you know, he makes like $7 million a year to coach the team. This is a, basically a team, kids that got together, wanted to play, formed a team that happened to attend the University of Alabama. Alabama says, okay, you can play, but we don't recognize it as, as an official sport or as part of the university. So we can't give you any cash. This is, this is one of those situations where you really wish that one of the, uh, one of the alumni of the university from whatever, uh, discipline or sport or whatever would step up or someone in the local business community would say, Hey, uh, I think this is good for the area. Good for the kids. Um, 
and cover uh, cover a portion of this. Because if someone came in and made a splash and donated $5,000 right now, that would get them to just a couple of thousand short. They'd still be covered by in the next couple of days. I mean, At this case, point, I don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, you read this and it's like similar to other teams across the ACHA, Alabama's team practices, plays, and stores its equipment off campus. They can't use campus venues, their home ices in Pelham, Alabama, at the Pelham Civic Complex. Yep. You have to drive. It says the athletes drive one hour to practice twice a week. <laughs> when there is a home game, the fans have to drive an hour, 50 miles. It's 50 miles east of Tuscaloosa, where the university is. It, it, and I, what it doesn't say here, and, and I would be interested to find out, is because they're a club team and, and they don't get funding from the university, are they still governed by the NCAA rules? Can they not take money? from some kind of a sponsor such as a local uh, or company in the area because obviously university team you know out university of alabama can't take money from anyone it's you know student athletes this that and everything else and and whether they're going to start paying them or not eh, that's another ball of wax that needs to be melted but does our club teams affected by those rules that is something I don't know. That would um, really, that would really hogtie them. Not to use a southern reference, but that would really, really put them in a bind as far as getting money to raise to get equipment and travel paid for. For those not uh, in the loop on southern geography, Pelham is literally closer to Birmingham, Alabama, uh, than it, than it is to Tuscaloosa. Uh, and those cities are pretty far apart, uh, at least uh, are pretty close to as far apart as Boston and Worcester. Or uh, so there's that. Um, hopefully uh, Alabama gets to keep their team. Um, I uh, I will be keeping track of this on Twitter, uh, and I'll probably tweet it uh, once or twice. Um, if their team can uh, recover the ability to play, it would be great. Um, we're always talking about expanding the game on this show or I was talking about getting more getting more visibility this is another this is yet another to opportunity to get visibility you get into the schools where it's not a traditional uh, sport such as I mean obviously up here it is but in university at University of Alabama you know Georgia the southern states again we're talking getting interest in hockey is is a key thing. Um, absolutely. Uh, John Tavares is on the mend. Um, according to the latest updates, both his concussion and knee are doing really, really well. Um, so the Toronto Maple Leafs will again, continue the option of winning and losing games eight to six for, uh, most of the season, as long as their top four or five forwards are healthy. Good to hear that Tavares is doing well. That was Certainly a rough thing to see in the playoffs, and by no way or in no way am I going to lay any kind of blame on Corey Perry. It was clearly a hockey 
move a hockey. He was trying to avoid him. He just happened. There was nothing he could do at that point. Absolutely. And it devastated him. At least during that game, you could see it in his face. I mean, when he came, when it came to the fight afterwards, he had no heart in in even fighting. He was just like, "Yeah, okay, go ahead, do what you got to do." Uh, so it is really good to see Tavares recovering, doing fantastic. Don't want to see him miss any hockey time, and I don't want to see any any kind of ill effects from the concussion either. I, I really absolutely good to hear. Uh, and he's expected to be ready for training camp, which is only a couple of weeks away at this point. Um, every season brings us the opportunity to speculate, ponder, uh, and aim for new rule changes or reversion to old rules. And this season is just uh, another one in that long train of let's make the game better. Uh, Bleacher Report has put together a list of pretty conventional rule changes that they'd like to see. I'd like to see. I know that Chris and I have talked about them uh, a couple <laughs> of times <laughs> here on the show. And while we're doing other stuff, um, I'm going to run through them really, really quick. Obviously fix the ridiculous onside rule or offside rule that oh, takes a 10 minute review every single time someone is in doubt about the legality of a play. Get rid of the trap. Uh, I think that the trapezoid is was always a bad idea. Um, they want to get rid of the over-the-glass penalty. Um, I understand why it was put in. I think it may have outlived its usefulness. But um, And then some of the other rule suggestions, remove the clock uh, from three-on-three, Oh, regular yeah. season overtime. That's one I definitely want to see. How how exciting is the three on three overtime, and I, how devastated are how devastated are you when the clock hits zero and then we got to go to shootout? I know sitting on my couch, I'm like, Ugh. I turn I I turn the TV off most of the time. <laughs> I legitimately turn the TV off when Just we get playing. Uh, so get rid of the shootout, and then this is one of those things that I think is. A subtle, understated thing the league could do that they're utterly blind to and will never, ever do because (sighs) – bring back Jersey Tucks. Uh, To quote the article, in a league that's trying to grow in popularity, why not let your players show an ounce of personality once in a while? Um, So of these two rules – of these rules, which do you think will actually make – the biggest difference in the on ice product. The biggest difference in the on ice product. Um, If they were to change anyone, I think the, I honestly think as much as I, as much as the over the glass one is ridiculous. I think that they got to fix the rule change. the, The offside rule, the offside rule. You can't allow a team to enter a zone if, if it's offside and then they have possession for 55, 65, 75 seconds, score a goal, and then the coach goes, oh, no, wait a minute, they were offside. You had a minute to get possession of the puck and get it out of your zone. You may have even had possession of the puck during that part of that time. Yes, you may have even taken possession and then had somebody dispossess your player. Regardless, the point is that 
if you're going to let it go longer, once you go 15 or 20 seconds and then a goal is good, there has to be some sort of cutoff. The slowest player in the league can make a complete lap of the league in tw- of the rink in 20 seconds. Tw- 45, 60, 80, 190 seconds after a play is onside or offside or whatever, completely irrelevant. But that's not the rule I would change most. I'd be If I could only change one rule, I think that getting rid of the trapezoid brings the game more into the player's control. Because whether you have the onside rule, the offside rule, whatever, mm-hmm. um, whatever changes are made to that, whatever fixes are made, you're still relying on the officials to arbitrate and direct the flow of energy and time in the game. With the trapezoid, you're taking the natural abilities of the players and putting them back into the game. Yes, it was, yes, Martin Brodeur and a couple of other guys uh, were really incredible (laughs) at puck handling when most of the other goaltenders were available. Tuka's not a great at puck handling? Tuka's elite at everything, and oh, don't you checking. dare say otherwise. Just checking, okay. But because I don't want to see him skating anywhere near a corner, let alone <laughs> behind. But here's the, net. the thing: <laughs> You're, if you put the game back onto the sticks and minds of the players, okay, for better or worse, or no, actually for better and worse, you create more drama. You create more opportunities for great plays and terrible plays and things to talk about. More more blunders by goaltenders skating out to a corner to play a puck when they should be nowhere near a corner. And more more shots on goal by goaltenders. More uh, more goaltenders who you know who make that uh, run back to the crease and uh, get in get in the way of a shot because the person that they pass the puck to out of the corner. Um, you know, blundered it themselves. Um, you're creating more opportunities for the players to control the game, to control the pace of the game, uh, to control the um, just the outcome of the game. And that's something that most of the rules have not done in the past. The rule changes have not done in the past 10 years. Like, you used to see Mark Savard, Patrice Bergeron, and a lot of the other centers, if they didn't win the puck cleanly with their stick, they'd open-handed bat the puck to one of their players. Personally, I think that's a dumb rule change, uh, not allowing that anymore. I really do. If a player wants to put their hand down there where there's a decent chance it's going to get whacked by a stick or a, or a skate, uh-huh. that's, a rule that, that's a risk that they decide to take. If it works for them, it works for them. If someone else isn't willing to do it, hey, they made their choice too. Interesting. And that rule wasn't mentioned, but um... no, it's not in there. Um, it's one of the one. <laughs> it's one of the rules that I always think about. Yes, I would like the over the glass to go, and yes, oh, yeah. the offside rule is atrocious. I, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. Like you can pretty much set your watch on at least a three or four minute delay anytime there's uh, a, a review for offside, and you can you know go make some popcorn, 
you know, down <laughs> four shots. That's usually when I can get up and go relieve myself. So <laughs> yeah, make popcorn I'll, down I'll come four back. shots to dull the pain. I'll come back. They're still deciding, so we're good to go. And and yes, I would love to just see three on three overtime go until somebody scores because because let's face it, <sighs> are they actually going to oh. take more than ten minutes to to decide a three on three shootout, a three on three uh, overtime? No. Now most of them are gone in four or five minutes max. It's usually three rushes up the ice, four rushes up the ice, and over. They need to that that the shootout is is awful. Oh. And finally, um, this week we heard of the death of uh, Jimmy Hayes, former NHL player, thirty one um, years old. Thirty one years old. Uh, there's been a great deal of speculation as to the cause. Um, some of the speculation um, is clearly by people who don't uh, bleeping science. Um, and don't understand anything that they're typing, uh, much less uh, what they're implying. I don't know how he died. Uh, from the early report uh, of the autopsy, it's not anything obvious. Um, but in addition to some of the actions that he might have controlled, there, there are a... There's a great many possibilities that are not his fault, not even maybe not even directly the fault of uh, any one doctor or advisor um, or anything like that. And I found a lot of the speculation and supposition gross, overly politicized and just disrespectful to his family, his children, his friends. Um, and I just really wish his family and friends, former teammates, all the best and healing as, as they deal with this. I I mean, the reason everybody's, there are many reasons why people are, are saying that is speculating and and I don't like speculating. I don't know how he passed away. If they're going to, you know, if they're going to release whatever information came out of the autopsy, so be it. If the family doesn't want it released, so be it. For me, it's the fact that a 31 year old young man passed away. And that is tragic. He, yes, he played in the NHL. He, the tough part is that he left behind a two-year-old and a three-month-old. And I feel for the family. I feel for the wife and children. It's... I don't think either of those children is ever going to remember him. They're not going to remember the sound of his voice or the touch of his hand on their face. or. And that's that's the... whatever Whatever brought his death about, that's the tragedy. Period. Yeah. So I don't I like the spec- I don't more. like the speculation. I don't like the what did he do? What didn't he do? You know, the timing of when it happened because he had just celebrated his 2-year-old son's birthday, I believe it was. Yes. 
and that's and, and I think the timing of it is what's leading to all this speculation. It's like, um, it's just ridiculous. Let it go. The young, the man passed away. How he died is nearly irrelevant. Uh, it wasn't foul play uh, from what what little I have seen. I will probably tweet at some point in the next few days uh, in re- uh, in reply to some of the speculation I've seen. I haven't gotten a chance to do the reading that I wanted to do before I dive into that because some of the speculation is the sort of uh, 10% baked gobbledygook that has just enough logic or facts behind it to make it seem to stand up to logical examination, but uh, no, it it doesn't. Um, And this is where we're going to leave you. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. Share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, random people you meet on the street. Um, Anything else, Chris? Uh... Boston signed a big winger, six foot five, two hundred twenty. Justin Brezzo from the North Bay Battalion. Supposedly he can score, but he can't skate. Take that for what you will. Yay! He's signed to an AHL ECHL contract, so it's not like he's going to be joining. So they the have Bruins. high hopes for him. Oh yeah, they signed him to a two-way deal between the second and third level. What uh, the the uh, Southern Professional Hockey League wasn't an option. Well, we don't have to go to Atlanta anymore because they're up in Maine now. So. Okay then. Have a great week, everyone, uh, and we will see you one week closer to the NHL season. Take care. Yay.